first of all, I want to say, give my gratitude to uh, Denise and Eric, who taught the last two weekends while I was gone. What a gift it is to have a church body with more than one voice. And so thank you. I think I saw Denise somewhere back there, and Eric's up in Cave Creek preaching this morning. So let's give it up for the church that serves. Yeah. Um, I want to point out a few things. One is my wife and I are going to host a Discover Axiom lunch on June 12th. And that's for those of you that are new, but it's also for those of you that have just never been to a Discover Axiom, or maybe you want to go a little further into the community and you want to find out some next steps. Uh, we just want to host you. We want to see your face, get to know you, be together, swap stories. And uh, yeah, so I think she's going to cook a whole hog or something. Does that sound right, babe? <laughs> Uh, it's going to be a good time. That's on the 12th. There'll be more information coming out as we go along over these next few weeks. And then uh, also, you guys see them every week, but these Connect cards sit in front of um, sit in front of you. And I just want to point out real quick, those aren't just to you know fan you when you get hot. Uh, you can leave some information on there. Maybe you do want to take a next step of some kind, or you have a question, or a comment, or you got some criticism, or or a prayer request. Or whatever it is, uh, we, we encourage you to, to leave it on there and then p- put it in the boxes in the back. Um, yeah, so there's that. And then um, Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Acts today, and it won't be on the screen. So I want to encourage you to gr- grab your Bibles now. And if you don't have one, we've got some friends in the back with Bibles. So just, you know, hand in the air or give them a little wink or a nod, and they'll hand one out to you. But we want to put one in your hands so you can follow along with us. We'll be in Acts chapter 1 which is somewhere between the beginning and the end. You'll find it. It's there. All right. So, now that you've all turned there, before we start reading on it, I'm just curious, have any of you ever been just like totally gripped by indecision? Totally found yourself incapable of deciding what you're having to eat today or do today? Or what's that next step you're going to take in life? Anyone? Yeah, all of us to some degree. I think some of us love that because the further we go along in our culture, I sense that it's increasing. We live in a world with so many options. Have you noticed that? You got options, all sorts of options. And we sometimes spend more time thinking about what we're going to decide than doing the thing that we decide to do. Yeah? Some of us live here. We live in that space. Well, the good news is we have this thing called a coin and we just flip it. And the decision's made, right? Makes it easy. Except here we are in our struggle. So I figured today we could flip a coin real quick. Why not? I've got one in my hand. And we can flip it for anything. Anybody trying to make a decision right now? Any kind? We can just put it to the test. Anybody wondering if tails, you got to stay awake the whole time or I'm going to call you out. Everybody down? Tails. <laughs> Good night. Sleep well. Okay, it could be that easy, except we tend to turn to this sort of measure 
in spaces where it starts to feel less like an inability to make a decision and I just need help with it. And we start to make magic out of it. We start to look for signs. We start to think, well, if this happens, then I'll know. Because in that space of indecision and struggle that comes with that, we are desperate for some kind of knowing. But what if we're supposed to be the kind of people who cannot always know and still be okay? What if we don't have to make all the decisions and it's more about, excuse me, it's less about the decision you're going to make and more about allowing yourself to be indifferent to whatever outcome comes about? That I'll be okay, even if this doesn't go my way. Because any other way sets you up to live in a narrative of failure or victory every other day. Versus living in the space of knowing that your invitation is to be a humble child of God. You can't know everything. You don't have victory over all things anytime, whenever you want. So today we're going to look at some of this space that we're getting into here. We're in the book of Acts. The book of Acts are scenes of a play. They're movements within early church history. They're happenings that take place that get us to where we are in this moment. The overarching narrative of the church that we're still a part of is this one of movement from, from struggle to, to, to uh, proclamation, from being stuck to power. Denise talked about being stuck and, and moving from that. From, from prayer, as Eric talked about last week, from prayer to following the commands that they were given, from baptism of water to baptism of fire. Movements of the church, scenes of the play are emerging, and we're going from this place where we might think it's all about me and all about the thing that I'm doing to the ends of the earth, as it puts it in the scriptures. This isn't just about Jerusalem. This is about all of creation. This isn't just about you and your decision. It's about the whole thing. This is where they find themselves in this moment, this tension, this struggle, this place of decision-making. The early church is dealing with betrayal. They've just experienced some suffering, right? Jesus has died Now, they know that he's resurrected from the dead, and that's all good, but the fact remains that one of the 12, one of their close friends, one of the people that served alongside them all this time, (coughs) excuse me, has been unfaithful, betrayed Jesus, betrayed them, and this person has died. And they're trying to figure out, what are we to do with this? I mean, here it is at the beginning of the church, and a leader has already fallen. We don't know anything about that. We don't see leaders fall, do we? Sure we do. Sure we do. And they did as well. But not just how do we deal with this betrayal and death and all the things that have happened, but... Who's going to take Judas's place? Who's going to be the 12th person? Because we've got to have 12. Can't just be 11. 
And of course, that's a tension too because the 12 tribes of Israel is representative of something and they, they've been commissioned with the going and restoring of all things. So here they are. And this is what we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 15 through 26. We're just going to pick it up right where we left it off. In those days, Peter stood up among them, excuse me, among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled, in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was, he was one of our number, he shared in our ministry. And with the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field, and there he fell headlong. And if you're not into gore, maybe you just close your ears and eyes for a second. He fell headlong, his body burst open, and his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their language, Alkadama, that is, the field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Now, Peter, one of the twelve, down one because Judas is out, is with this early church of about 120 and he's trying to help them make sense of this moment. And as a good leader, what he does here, and we've already read some of this. First, he brings them into prayer, right? And, but before that, Jesus already directs them to go and be together in one place and wait for the Spirit, right? So, so they have these tools. They have these seeds that are going to start this movement, this being together, having things in common, this, this place of prayer. But Peter offers them something else in this moment. He goes, he, and he goes to the place that they all know, that, uh, the book of lament, the book of songs, the, the emotional landscape of the Old Testament where we can see ourselves and our own suffering and the suffering of others. And he, and he reminds them that even in our place right now, we are not alone. That there's a word here that helps make meaning of this moment. So we have prayer and we have each other, but we also have God's word and his songs to comfort us. Peter points to the scriptures. And he does it, okay, not to prove the Bible. I, I, don't, I don't know why so many people get to this text and they go, oh, well, see, it's because this said it was going to happen, so here it happened. Some kind of like, it's about like the Bible making sense or something like that. That's not it. This is not the, it had to happen so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. No, it's in light of what has happened. Peter is making sense of it by looking back to the scriptures. It's not 
how do we fix or make pretty this bad thing that has happened? Or this had to happen in order for Scripture to be true. It's not about the validity. It's about significance. Meaning making. In this moment. And the foundation of Scripture, the suffering of David, right? This is pointing back to the Psalms. David had a friend who betrayed him. And, and, and Jesus was betrayed by Judas. And they have been betrayed. So, so they find meaning by seeing themselves in the space of tension, in the space of indecision, in the space of, I don't know what to do. We've lost this person. And Jesus picked him. We thought he was going to be the one. And we had it all figured out. Except it's not the way, it's not the way it's supposed to be. That somehow the story itself serves the moment we're in. That you, in your indecision, you and I, in our incapacity to move forward, are connected to a story of betrayals and a story in stories of victory. We are not isolated in a singularity. We are part of the whole, and the gift of Scripture helps us to see that. This is the fulfilling quality of what is happening right now in your life and what has taken place and been spoken of already. Peter is being pastoral in this moment. Peter is comforting them. This is a form of midrash. It's meaning-making in a moment in light of what we already know. So as we, experience, um, as we experience the failure of leadership in the church, or the failure of policies, or the failure of whatever it is that we were counting on, might we see that this is not something that was just pointed at you and that this is not something that has to hold me here forever we don't have to live in this place forever of indecision and tension and struggle and all that comes with it doesn't mean that we don't experience it doesn't mean we wash over it doesn't mean that we just sweep it under the rug no it means that in prayer in community in Scripture, we find that there's meaning here as well. And, and I just I feel like I have to keep saying this, but it's not like, okay, so a bad thing happened to you, and then I come and say, well, hey, uh, everything happens for a reason. It's not that. That's, that's an inappropriate uh, response to people in suffering. It's that I'm with you in this, which you're in. You are not in this alone. That's what this text is telling us. That's what Peter is confronting them with. The second issue is not just 
this first of this, what do we do, or how do we live with this reality? But the second issue is of the practical nature. How do we discern what to do now? We, we, are, we are leaders, and we have these people here, and we, we need to make a decision about who's going to take Judas's place. There's supposed to be 12 of us. So we're going to pray. We're going to go to Scripture. Those are beginning places. And just real quick, is that your practice? Are those starting points for you? Is it normative for you to immerse your decisions in prayer, Scripture, and community? Or is it more normative for you to just sort of float around in the space of, I don't know what to do, and there's a frantic nature to it? And so we pick it up with this word, therefore, and this therefore is therefore the mentioning of because we've prayed, because we've had scripture, because we've gathered together, it is necessary, verse 21, it is necessary to choose one of the men. We can't just stay here forever. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have... now. Here, they, 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 they give it some qualities. They help take the problem and make it small. You can do this too with your struggles, by the way. They're going to name some things that help them. We're, we're going to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time. It's a quality. It's a qualifying quality. We're going to choose one of the people that have been with us the whole time. The, Lord, the, the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. So we're not just going to pick Fred because he's got great charisma. We're not going to just pick Suzanne because she sings awesome. We're going to pick somebody that has been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. Beginning from John's baptism, we're going to go all the way back to there. To the time when Jesus was, was, excuse me, to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. So from the baptism of Jesus to the ascension of Jesus, that's what we read about last week, and by the way, happy Ascension Sunday, that's today. From then till now, that's who we're going to pick, somebody that's been there in that span. <clears throat> Sorry, I lost my place. Verse 22, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. There's the other piece. So it's not just prayer, it's not just the word, it's not just community, but it's also somebody that's been with us the whole time and somebody that's witnessed the resurrection. So, so we've, we've taken this struggle, we've taken this tension, we've addressed it in this way and in this place, and now we have left before us Two men, verse 23. So they nominated, based on this, two men. Joseph, called Barsabbas, I don't know how to say that, also known as Justice and Matthias. So they got Matt and Joe. We've got two guys here that, that we've discerned in community, in prayer, in Scripture, Based on these qualifying factors, we've got two with us. Both are good decisions, right? Both are good decisions. They meet everything. All of it. So they could at this moment, right, 
Just choose one. They could at this moment, heck, there's 11 of them, it'd be perfect. They could take a vote, right? They could vote, and it would be like there would be six to five, or it wouldn't be an even split. But they choose not to do that. Instead, they choose to play Yahtzee when they pick the final person. That's what it says. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry. And that's capital A, apostle, not lowercase a, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. <clears throat> so uh, how many of you here love worship? Just like worship's your jam. Like, I go to church because I like to worship. Cool. Okay. Good. How many of you just love preaching and teaching and being in the Word? Not as many of you. Okay, that's fine. Uh, how many of you love to gamble? Nobody? Nobody? Nobody likes to roll the dice? It's church practice. It's how we as elders make decisions around here. Just roll it out. No, we, we don't actually do that. <clears throat> I want to point out a few things before we tackle that, but first I want to get at this, that there's something really incredible about this fact that after going through all the steps that they went through, they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. They confess the, th the thing that's beyond their capacity. It's not that they can't make a decision. They could. And you can make a decision too, by the way. But in this moment, the question of the heart is a question that's honestly reserved for God. We read all throughout Scripture the, part of the uniqueness of what makes God different from who we are is his capacity to know the heart of a person. Now, some of you think you know the heart of others real well. And that is when we step outside of our reign of responsibility. Now, we can have a good sense, right? I know so many of you, and you guys have good hearts. But I don't know the ins and outs your emotions and your thinking and your reasoning and all the things that make you you. But God knows you more than you know yourself and you can know that because you can't make a decision. If you could, you would know yourself a lot better than you do. And so the, the apostles here go in their gifted authority. They were sent. They were given all the wisdom of Scripture. They had all of that. They were superpower humans not really but you know what i mean but when it came to choosing a person that's for god to decide we're gonna let him make this decision because they have two good options and that's always the hard space right when something's good or bad, it's easy, right? Taco Bell or Del Taco. You choose Del Taco every time. But when, but when it's something between two good decisions, well, 
that's a little more challenging. So in faith, these credible men, if all the credit, like if I wanted somebody to make this decision, these are the guys I'm picking, do what we would think to be perhaps the most non-credible thing a person could do. And they roll, they cast lots. And I am, as a, as a pastor, as a senior pastor of this church, am so impressed that our apostles chose to, in this moment, instead of taking it into their own hands, say, you know what, we need to demonstrate from the beginning that not everything's up to us. We've done everything we've been asked to do time, prayer, witness of the resurrection, someone that's been with us from the beginning. Uh, we've pointed to the scriptures. We've, we've been in all of this, but we acknowledge our, our limitations, our shortcomings. We display them as, as we ourselves have a need for God. God alone sees the heart of a person. And, and it's not that heads or tails mean that's what God chose. It's like, like okay, heads, it's Matthias, tails, it's the other guy. It's, it's not, that's not the, the, the significance here. The significance is the indifference that it's whoever you choose. These are both good men. And God, you, we, we hand this to you. And it must be this way, or, or we, we might think we can know the heart of a person, but we can't. But it doesn't just speak to that quality of God's knowing. It also speaks to the gift of ending a strife amongst the community. They were in a struggle, and by going here, they stopped dragging the community through this, and they allowed them to move towards something new. Some of you need that moment in your life. Some of us, as much as we want to make all decisions for ourselves, need others to, to bring us into new territory, new grounding. They, they take a paralyzed situation and, and give it a new way. So, but it's not just that kind of grace or that kind of acknowledgement of God's reserved knowledge. It's not just the marker of the limitation of men, but it's a precursor to the, in, the descending of the Holy Spirit that's about to come. And and we might not see that right off the text surface. But here's the deal. Very soon in Acts, the Holy Spirit is going to pour itself out on the people. And we see the casting of lots used throughout the Old Testament 70 times. And in the New Testament, we see it once. At the very beginning, and we just read it. But from this next act on, they don't lean on that. It's not that we couldn't or we shouldn't ever. It's that Luke is sharing with us what actually happens, what took place. And Matthias was mentioned. Now, how many of you, is Matthias anybody's favorite apostle? I'm just curious. 
He's not mentioned ever again. Maybe they chose wrong. I don't think so. I love the apostles that aren't mentioned. There's something about that to me that conjures mystery and wonder of what kind of ministries did they carry because we know they did. There's witnesses that point back to their foundings and the things they did, but we don't have their own words, their own stories. What matters more than if God chose this lot or not is that the apostles chose to submit themselves instead of taking a vote or picking on their own. They chose to demonstrate that even with the authority they were being given, that they too had a limitation. Man, I wish all of the church leaders started with that. Started with that kind of demonstration. They chose to show that God leadeth them. In fact, heads or tails, wrong decision or right decision, God can still lead you. That's just it. God's going to be in it with you no matter what, because that's how much He loves it with you. That's how much His desire is to bring you into life with Him. And if you did choose wrong, He'll help you move back into that other space. So don't be frozen anymore on this. Just be with God. Join us in prayer. But choose to live in such a way that it's He that leadeth me. The old hymn says it. He leadeth me. He leadeth me. By His own hand, He leadeth me. His faithful follower I would be, for by His hand He leadeth me. Lord, I would place my hand in Thine, nor ever murmur nor repine. Content, whatever lot I see, it is the Lord that leadeth me. We don't always love the decision, do we? We don't always love the outcome, but the assurance we have is that God is with us. And He leads us. May He lead you today. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us in these spaces. Speak to us. May Your Spirit empower our thinking. May You unlock the voices of our brothers and sisters in the room. May You... Uh, trample the hurdles or young or old whatever it is it's it's gripping us keeping us in the place of hate or anger or or strife or whatever it is god we just invite your power your spirit to speak to that which you know the expert of our heart god changing us what we can't change ourselves empower us where we can't empower ourselves god <coughs> excuse me Help us to follow you. That's the posture, Lord. Whatever we need to do to shift our posture, even if it's flipping a coin, move us from I've got it to you've got it, God. Help us in that. Amen. Now, as we go into worship, I want to invite you to to give uh, your resources, to to give to the church. 
uh, you guys are taking care of the needs around here. You're taking care of our opportunity to love Peoria, to, to, to be together. You're taking care of the broken sprinklers out there. We've got a few of those. You're taking care of all sorts of things. I could list them if you like. Thank you for caring for this church body and its needs. Thank you for the gift cards that you're helping us with for fries and Safeway so that when people come and ask, we have something to give them. Thank you for the, the, the offerings that you're giving for specific purposes. Thank you for giving to the general budget, just trusting that the elders and the church leadership will make good decisions together with you. Thank you for trusting Jesus. Um, thank you for your time. For being with you. To, choosing to come today was choosing not to do something else. Thank you for being with your family today. Make sure you hug a person, shake a hand, look them in the eyes, and remind them. That